like that video? That's your church, man. Isn't that cool? That's so great. Hey, I just wanted to say something right out of the gate before uh, we get going into the, into the message. By the way, my name is Scott. If we haven't met, uh, I live in Northern California. I came here to uh, just be with you guys this weekend. So all that aside, baptism, wasn't that super cool? Isn't that amazing? Here's what I, I love so much about baptism is that every one of these folks and at every service today and probably at every campus, people are following Christ in an obedient step of baptism because that's what Scripture asks us to do, tells us to do. And behind every one of those decisions is a story of God at work in their life and in their heart. And what's so cool about it is that every one of you who serves at every and any campus at Cornerstone, maybe you're investing in the lives of kids and the kids ministry or students or men or women or you're part of the team that creates such a great environment here, you are a part of that because those folks are coming in, opening up their heart to what God wants to do in their life and you're helping to create the environment and if you give and you invest in the vision here, man, I'll tell you, uh, finances fuel the vision, giving fuels the vision. So if you give or you serve, I just want to say thank you because their story is part of your story because God's using you to impact their lives to get what he wants to get done. So come on, let's give it up for how good God is and thank you so much for being a part of this thing. So okay, here we go. Cornerstone Church, so glad to see you guys. My name is Scott. I want to welcome everybody at the Santan campus at Scottsdale at the 5 o'clock the loud, the rowdy crowd, and the loud and rowdy crowd right here in Chandler. As well as everyone may be joining us at uh, cornerstoneonline.com. So glad to have you here today. I, uh, I want to share with you a secret. Is that all right? If I just share a secret with you. But before I open that up and tell you what that might be, I got to take a little survey to see uh, which of two people you might be. Are you the person that would say, okay, Scott, you can share your secret with me. It's good with me. Whatever you share with me, it stops here. Mum's the word. I'm good at keeping secrets. I'm fine. As scandalous as it might be, I can keep a secret. Raise your hand if you're like, oh, man, I can keep secrets. No problem. Okay, eight people, 12 people, just for the record, raise their hand. You're such church people. So then, okay, how many of you guys would say, Man, don't tell me a secret because, you know, I'm like Kevin on The Office. I can't keep a secret if my life depends on it. Don't tell me because once you tell me your secret, it's no longer a secret. Please don't. Don't tell me. You guys are like that person. Like, oh, I can't. I have a hard time with secrets, a few of you. Well, I'm going to tell it anyway because this is my message. I get to do what I want for the next few minutes. So I'm going to tell you a secret. But before I do, think about it this way. What if God were to tap you on the shoulder? That's right. God were to tap you on the shoulder and say, I've got a secret that I want you to know. I've got something that I want you to know. It's a secret. Would you be curious? Would you want to know what that secret might be? Believe it or not, there's something in Scripture that we're going to talk about today that for whatever reason, God has chosen to communicate it in the language of calling it a secret. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to the New Testament Go to the book of Philippians and turn to chapter 4. And we're going to take a quick look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. It's the Apostle Paul writing, obviously inspired by the Spirit of God to write this. He says this, I have learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. 
Now, think about it for a moment. Why might God call contentment a secret? I'm going to take a stab at it, and I'm going to make an assumption. I think that God may call contentment a secret because so few of us ever find it. I know that I have struggled with contentment in my life. You know, the definition defines contentment as a state of being satisfied. Everybody say satisfied. A state of being satisfied. Before I gave my life to Christ, I was as uh, lacking as satisfaction as you got, couldn't find any satisfaction in much of any of my life. And so I would medicate it through different ways, do different things, still unsatisfied, and I just couldn't find it. Now, when I gave my life to Christ, you think, okay, you're going to go cliche on me. You gave your heart to Jesus. He filled the void in your heart and everything was good. No, it didn't happen that way. I was lacking satisfaction in so many areas of my life after I gave my life to Christ, just like I was before. I couldn't find it. So I finally started to think, okay, God, am I like, am I cursed with like the curse of Mick Jagger? Four of you know what I'm talking about. You know the song? I can't get no Cause I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no. Mm -hmm. I was like, God, am I like the Mick Jagger of eternity? I just can't get any satisfaction. And if you're an English teacher, that drives you crazy anyway because it's a double negative in that sense. You're like, that's not even right. I couldn't find any satisfaction. In fact, I experience more consistently the opposite of contentment, which is discontent. Being discontent in the dictionary describes it as one who has a, a constant drive or desire for something that we just don't have. This continual drive or desire for something that I just, I just don't have. I was discontent, even as a follower of Christ, and God's doing really cool stuff in my life, but yet there was this restless desire in me, this craving for something that was more like, what is that? The cool thing in this is that God has really vividly uh, illustrated someone who's very discontent and someone who's very content in Scripture. And we're going to take a look at both of those folks and we're going to kind of unpack that discontentment versus contentment. And so we're going to start out with being discontent because I kind of wrote the book on being discontent. And before we look at the text, I want to throw out there three powerful principles on how to be discontent. It doesn't look like anybody wants to take notes. What's going on? If you want to be more discontent, let me show you how to throw fuel on the fire, okay? So here's the first thing about being discontent. I call it like powerful principle number one to be discontent. is believe that what we want is what we need. Believe that what we want is what we need. Number two, they're kind of progressive in nature, actually. If number one is believe that what we want is what we need, number two is let margin become our master. And then the third one is expect satisfaction, I can't sing by the way, to be found in our stuff. If you want to be discontent more than ever, believe that what we want is what we really need. Let margin become our master and expect satisfaction to come from our stuff. 
Turn in your Bible, if you have one with you, to Luke chapter 12. And Jesus is telling the story about a guy who I would say is incredibly discontent. And here's what happens. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 19, it says Jesus told him a story. And here's his story. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what shall I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Verse 18, then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Verse 19, and I'll sit back and I'll say to myself. Have you ever had those conversations where you sit back like, man, say to myself. He says, I say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. It's right there. You can almost hear the, the eagles playing in the background. Take it easy. Anybody know that song, Take It Easy? Come on now. Okay, rabbit trail for just a moment. That song, Take It Easy, if you know it, has one of the greatest lines, in my opinion, in rock and roll history, and it's about the great state of Arizona. Standing on a corner in such a fine, there's a girl, my, in a flatbed, slowing down to take a you guys are such sinners, man. I love you. <laughs> Heathens. <laughs> Some of you are like, what did they say? What is it? She's driving a what? All right. So he says, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That guy really illustrates how to be discontent. Because what happens is when we believe that what we want is what we need, the problem arises that we almost always want more than what we really need. And then when we kind of build up that surplus of stuff that we want and we build margin, margin is good. But when margin is our master, it turns into a mirage. When is enough enough? It just kind of, once you get there, it moves forward on you. You think you've arrived. When do we finally arrive? We strive to get something like, I know that you and I, unless you're a farmer, most of us don't have barns to put stuff in and build bigger barns for crops. But yet I would say our stuff, our, the stuff that's in our barns is what I would call more possessions and greater position in life. And once we get some of those possessions, we get like, okay, now I'm going to really be satisfied. But it moves forward like, oh, I need a little more. Oh, I get that position. Got it. The same challenges are there in life. Man, i got to get that next position. And it just kind of keeps moving forward. When we believe that what we need is what we, uh, what we want is what we need, we always want more than what we need. And when we let margin be our master, it's that mirage that keeps moving. And we realize that satisfaction isn't found in our stuff because stuff doesn't fully satisfy. It just doesn't fully satisfy. But if you want to be discontent, let's pursue those things. But man, there's going to be a restless craving and this desire for stuff in our life that we just don't have. Now, if you want to be content, which is God has much better for us, which is being content. Anybody interested in how do I experience this contentment that God seems to want to give me? Anybody? Raise your hand if you're, you're interested. Okay, all I need is six of you, and I'm good to roll, man. So how, if, that's, if we know how to be discontent, how do we actually experience contentment? Well, the Apostle Paul is a guy who experienced contentment. Which I'll say this real quick. is I used to justify my constant state of being discontent, of not being satisfied, with being 
um, driven and missional, visionary. And man, God, okay, if I'm going to change the world, Lord, I can never be content because there's always work to do, right? Well, I don't know everybody in this room, nor you guys online, but I would say it's fair to assume that none of us have impacted the world as much as the Apostle Paul. Probably a type A, D, driver personality, mover and shaker, worked hard, 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 but yet at the same time, he walked in contentment. I couldn't justify being content for being a hard worker. So here's Paul, look back at Philippians 4. Writing from a prison cell, by the way. He's sitting in a prison cell when he writes this stuff, and he says in verse 11, Philippians 4, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's something that jumps out at me in that, those verses, is that contentment isn't about our supply. It's about our appetite. Which begs the question, what are we hungry for? Have you ever thought that? If you've ever wrestled with being discontent or feeling unfulfilled in any way, and you think, well, what, what is it that fulfills? It hasn't been that relationship which was satisfying for a while, but that, that had, it had, had gone away. It wasn't that job. It wasn't that more of a paycheck because the headache still came in life. What is it? What are we really hungering for? What's that restless desire in us that we're craving? Paul said that he's discovered it. He's learned how to be content, to be satisfied, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the supply. In fact, he'd say, of the call of God on his life, living out that call has caused him to miss many meals. He's lacked. But he just said, but there's also been times in my life where I've had to push the plate away and left food on it because there's plenty and I'm full. Regardless of the circumstance or the supply or the situation, he's learned to be content. So what is that pathway to, to experiencing more contentment? Well, I want to throw this out at you. It's not exhaustive, but it's been my experience, and I think we'll see that Scripture would validate it as well. We're going to take how to be discontent, and we're going to flip it upside down. And I think it's going to lead us to a lot more contentment in life. So here's what we're going to do. The first thought is this, is the path toward contentment begins when we surrender our wants to Christ. So we just surrender. Whatever we want God, it's, it's, it's all about you. Here, I surrender my, what I want to you. Do with it what you want. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. You can turn there if you'd like. If not, I'll just read it real quick. The Apostle Paul, basically he says this. He says, he says godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't that interesting? Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he goes on to say, we didn't bring anything into the world. We can't bring anything out of the world. We can't take it with us. So I'm going to be content. Here's what it says. Let me just read it specifically. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, i got to admit, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when you read the Bible, if you read the Bible, and even if for those of you who would say, man, 
It's authoritative. God is the ultimate author of Scripture. So if he says it, it's it. It's settled, right? But there's times I read the Bible, I read statements like, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And I go, I don't know. Because I haven't been. Should we be content with food and clothing? Yeah, I think so, based on what he says right here. Yet, I haven't been very content with that. I guess if, if we're starving and naked, we'd be quite content with food and clothing, wouldn't we? But Paul says we can't take anything with us, so, hey, invest it for eternity. Give it to the next generation. I'm all for investing in retirement and savings and all that kind of stuff. But he says, man, we can't take it with us. Let's be content with food and clothing. Still, I'm like, I don't know, man. But when we, when we take our wants and we surrender them to Christ, that's when we begin to experience contentment. God, I want that pay raise. Let's be honest for a moment, okay? Do we want the pay raise because we need to pay the basic bills? Or do you want the pay raise because i got to pay for my Verizon bill and my cable bill and my two cars in the garage? You know, I'm not going to try to pick on this, but you know what I'm talking about? First world problems. God, I want, I want to control my teenagers because I'm going to kill them if they don't change. I want to control my spouse. And maybe, maybe God's saying, you know what? Maybe you just need to surrender that want to me. Whatever we want. God, I want that promotion. I want that next position. But you know what? God, I want your will to be done in my life. It's not all about me. When we begin to honestly take what we want and surrender it to him and say, God, your will, what do you want to do here? That's when we begin to experience contentment. But then, if that's where it starts, it begins to grow because as we surrender our wants to him, we begin to experience that our needs are met through him. He begins to meet our needs. So, uh, look in uh, Philippians 4. Go back there. We're going to stay there for a minute. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 19. He says, my God will supply all of your wants. They say, well, my God will supply all your wants. No, my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. Basically saying, God's going to provide your needs according to his supply. What's interesting about that is this whole book of Philippians was written to people in this area called Philippi. They call it the Philippian church. Paul's in prison. They send him a gift to help to provide for him. And he basically is saying, thank you so much for sending me the gift. But even before that, I want you guys to know, I have been in situations in my life where I've had plenty and I've had nothing. But in any, in every situation, I've learned to be content. So thank you for your gift. And by the way, because God's using you to help meet my needs, Paul's saying, I'm fully confident that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, according to his supply. When we can get to that place where we surrender our wants to him and see him meeting our needs more and more, we, we arrive at a beautiful place. Our wants are surrendered to him. Our needs are being met by him. And we get to that place where we realize Mick Jagger just needs Jesus. Because our satisfaction truly comes from Christ in our life. This isn't just religious chatter. This is experiential. When we surrender our wants to him, 
The stuff that we're craving and desiring, we're all restless about, and it seems to keep moving further and further forward and out of reach once we get something. We want more of it when we surrender what we want. And we say, God, I trust you that you're going to help meet my needs. Then we experience on the backside of that the satisfaction, the contentment that comes from knowing Christ in a personal way. In fact, Paul writes in verse 13, go up a few verses in Philippians 4, speaking about this, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all these things through him who gives me strength. When I was a kid, I remember watching Evander Holyfield fight Mike Tyson. Everybody remember that? Man, you know, Mike, the guy who likes to eat people's ears and stuff, and, you know, who's, who's, Mike's probably living at, by, by the Scottsdale campus, who knows, but anyway, so Evander gets into the ring, and I was trying to be funny, by the way, you guys are so boring right now, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Evander gets into the ring, and he's got his Philippians 4.13 stuff on, you know, he's a follower of Jesus, and he's like, I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength, I'm going to take this boy out, man, and he's everybody's cheering him on, and you know, he wins that one match, and it's like, I can do all things to Christ. What's funny about Philippians 4.13 is as motivational as it is, and as much as it's a great locker room pep talk with the other verses of, you know, if God be for me, who can be against me, yada, 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 yada. It's one of those motivational things, but at the end of the day, it's all in the context of contentment. It's all about finding that place of deep satisfaction with the presence of God in our life, being content, and at peace in our soul. That's what that verse is all about. I can do all this stuff. I can go through seasons. I can go through my business. In 06, is booming. We're crushing it. Profits are high. Stakeholders are, are happy with us, and it's great. And then we go into 08, and it crashes, and we lose it all. 06, 08, I got Jesus. I can be content. Yeah, I'm going to work like crazy, and yeah, I'm going to try to save this thing, but even while I do it all, I've got the peace of God in me to walk through this season. When our kids are going crazy, man, well, they're little babies, they're all perfect, and then they grow up and they're like, they want to be their own people. Like, ah, you know, okay, God, I, I can still walk through this with peace. I want control. I want, to, I want my spouse to act the way that I want them to act, but I guess that I got to lay that down and I got to surrender that to you and watch you meet needs. It's a powerful thing, man. Philippians 4.13, my God, will, will, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's all about being content. So the kind of the pathway is that whole surrendering our wants, watching him meet our needs, and then we ultimately experience satisfaction through him in our life. But how uh, is the pro what's the process like? How do we go from being discontent to experiencing contentment? I honestly think that it's, uh, it's individual. It's unique to each of us. But I want to tell you a quick story that illustrates what the process felt like for me when I was very discontent and began to experience more and more contentment in my life because of what I just talked about. When uh, our oldest daughter, Ashley, who's 19, I've told a lot of stories about Ashley. Here's why I tell a lot of stories about Ashley, because she was our first kid. And I think, I feel sorry for first kids, because I think that they, they're, they're more of the victim of our ignorance than the benefactor of any wisdom that we might have. So I guess Shelly and I have a lot of stories about Ashley. Ashley uh, is a brilliant kid, very, uh, she was strong-willed as a, as a young one, but here's what happened with Ashley. When uh, Shelly, she was the only baby that Shelly ever nursed. 
Why? I, 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 you know, anyway, that's a different conversation. But So she'd nurse her, and we, what would happen was I would, my job was to put her to bed at night, okay, amongst a couple other things, so don't be hating, ladies. But I had to put her to bed at night, and, and what would happen, we had this, this, uh, this uh, battery-powered swing, you know, the baby swing thing, and we'd, you know, Shelly would feed her, we'd go to put her to bed, and she'd be like, ah, she'd start crying. So we always put her in the swing, put her in the swing, and let her rock her to sleep. Beautiful thing, those swings, man. She start crying. We put it. How many guys say I want? I want like an adult swing, battery powered swing, right? If, if Elon Musk, if you're watching this, would you invent a battery powered adult swing so we can sleep in? Okay, so please do that. Two of you know who Elon Musk is. So anyway, swing the battery powered swing, and she'd feed her. We put her in there. She'd sleep all night in the swing. This just beautiful, quiet, and this went on for months. She's like eight, nine, ten months old. She's still sleeping in the swing. And we started to realize, you know, this, this may not be good. we got to get her in the crib. So it came time to get her in the crib. So it was mostly my job to put her to bed. So I remember putting her in the crib. Honey, I love you. Hug her, kiss her, pray for her. Lay her down. Walk out. Ah! Just crying like crazy. Oh, honey, it's going to be okay. We're going to be right out there. It's okay. You lay down. Hug her, kiss her, walk. Ah! She's screaming like crazy. It got to the point where, okay, so I sat, I'd sit down next to the crib, and I put my hand through the, the side of the crib, you know, the, the lattice stuff there, you know, squeeze it in there and holding her little hand like this. And, okay, honey, she'd be like, because <laughs> she'd been crying, you know. It's going to be okay. She's shaking off the cry. <laughs> and, then she, and then she starts slowing down her breathing. And then I would like, let go of her hand. Right? Ah! So as I turn, she starts screaming. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's killing me. And, and then so I got to the point where I'm on the floor. I'd hold her hand for a bit. And then I'd go down. I'm here, honey. And I'd stay there for a while. And then I would crawl out, grown man, crawling out of the bedroom. And every single time, I would like make some little noise or get to the doorway. It's like, she just starts screaming like crazy. It was taking me an hour. I'm not doing preacher exaggeration here. It's taking me an hour to put her to bed every night. It was exhausting. An hour. She'd finally fall asleep, and I would creep out. And we got to the point after doing that for months, we thought, this has got to change. What do we do? So we thought, well, let's get the book. There's got to be a book on this thing somewhere, this technique of getting kids to go to sleep. So we bought this book, and the book said, you got to go cold turkey. You got to put them in their crib, and you, so first, you got to be united as a couple, because what's going to happen is one of you is going to try to go rescue your crying kid and alleviate them of their trauma, and it's going to break the, the power of the, the process. And so we had to unite together. Okay, honey, let's commit. We're not going to go in, and we're not going to rescue her. So I put her in the crib, and I said, put her in, and then, like, let them cry for 15, 20 minutes, then go back in and console them, let them know you're there, comfort them, and walk back out again. It's like, oh, that's cool. And it said, do that a couple times. They're good. It's like, man, this is going to be awesome. So I put her in the crib first night, and I lay there, kiss her, pray with her, all that kind of stuff. And I, honey, love you. And I walk away, turn, and she's like, ah! And I kept on walking. Right out of the room, she's screaming like crazy. She's screaming like bloody murder, man. It was insane. 
If you're from England, I just swore. Sorry about that. But it was really bad. She was screaming like crazy. And I was like, what am I going to do? So 15, 20 minutes go by. I go back in. And she's got like snot all over her face and, you know, this spit dripping down and stuff. So wipe her all up, clean up. I love you, honey. It's okay. It's going to be all right. Put her back down. Walk out. Screaming like crazy. Ah! And she did that. I went in. And about the fourth time I went in, there's vomit all over the bedroom. She had screamed so hard, she threw up and just blew chunks all over the room. So we quickly cleaned that up because you can't break it, man. We're like, we're like an hour in right now, two hours in. We're no, there's no going back. She screamed that first night for three hours. It blood-curdling scream. When she finally stopped, we were kind of concerned. We thought, did she just like <laughs> die or something or pass off from exhaustion? We kind of snuck in, she, she, she's, she's moving, all right, she's good. Like, all right, we did three hours. Night number two comes, put her in the crib, walk away, ah! Two hours, two hours of the same stuff, but it was only half the volume because her voice was torched. She didn't have any voice left. I'm like, yeah, you got what's coming to you. But she, she gave it what she had for two more hours. And then the third night came and it really did go down to about an hour screaming as well like ah. she is torched and uh we're like okay we're getting there and finally over about a week it just kept getting better and better and better to the point we could bring her in lay her down hug her kiss her pray with her all that kind of stuff and then walk away she'd be like fidgety and she'd make a couple noises but then she'd go right to sleep she'd go right to sleep keep that story in mind for a moment as we read this next bible verse in psalm 131 it says this, and it's the whole psalm, actually, 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful, wonderful for me, but I've calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. When I went through the process of becoming more content, internally, emotionally, spiritually, I was, I was Ashley. It was as if God would say, Scott, I got you. Surrender these wants to me. Know that I'm going to meet your needs. You're going to find your satisfaction in me. And it's almost like as if you would put me in the, in the crib and I'd be like, oh my God, no! I, I want this, I want that! And, I, and I, God, I want to be the next Lynn Winters. I deserve it. I've worked hard enough for this thing. Nah, 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 nah. And it wouldn't surprise me if God would say, shut up, you're not that smart. You can't do that kind of stuff. But God, I want this. I deserve it. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but i got to tell the truth. God's ultimate goal and desire for your life and my life is not that we be happy. Happiness isn't his mission. I like what Pastor Lynn said a while back when he actually said, um, God doesn't want us to be happy as much as he wants us to be holy. And we think, God, I want to be happy. Maybe you ask Christ into your life if you have because you thought that was your ticket to happiness. It's your ticket to contentment, but not your ticket to happiness. God, I, I, Jesus, you're, you're everything. So, man, would you, I, I just want that, I want that boat. I want to go to Havasu, man. It's so awesome. I want that. Lord, I want to I I move from 
the West Valley to the East Valley because it's so much better, Lord. I want out of the West Valley, Lord. Please help me. God would say, no, I've condemned you to the West Valley. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I felt like I was in that crib just kind of whining and pouting and blowing chunks all over the room with snot all over my face. God, but I want, 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 want. And God was saying, you know what? You may want that stuff. You may even think that my mission is to give you what you want. But at the end of the day, I'm all that you need. What is it that you want that maybe God is saying through this Yahoo right here, God's saying, you know what? You want something and I'm not providing it because it's not really what you need. Maybe it's time to surrender that to him. And if God brings it later, cool. But stop striving for it and driving for it when it keeps, it's so out of reach. What is it that you want that you need to surrender to him and watch him come through and meet your needs. You know, I used to, uh, doing this kind of stuff, um, you know, yeah, God, I want to be the next Lynn Winters. No one carries a burden quite like the leader of a church. That's why I love Lynn so much. I'm like, I don't want to carry that burden. But God, I mean, I, I need to change the world. I need to change the, I, I want, I'll, bring me to people. I want to tell them about Jesus. And I need to, and I, I think God's like, yeah, you know what? I, I got my plan in motion. You just need me. Because the closer you are to me, then the more effective you're going to be with everybody else. And there can be times where I'm standing here, I'm just being vulnerable to you guys right now, where I can get done, pour it all out, leave it on the field, leave it on the stage, and, and many of you kind people will say, man, good job, that was a good message, and I can get my little rental car and head back to the airport, and literally God would whisper to me and just kind of put it in my heart like, okay, did you get your satisfaction from that nice person who complimented you? Or does your satisfaction come from knowing that I'm with you? Am I enough in your life? Get out of the performance and be satisfied with who I am in your life. Man, surrender those wants. Watch and meet our needs and begin to experience contentment. I can tell you with all authenticity, I was incredibly discontent. But these last couple years have been the most content season of my life. And I wouldn't trade it for happiness at all. At all. It's a beautiful thing. So I pray that you chase after contentment, man. Let God help you experience this. And you're not going to go, I'm not going to pray right now, but I'm not going to say amen and we're going to walk out and you're going to be content. That's not how this works. This is a personal process that we go through if you're hungry for it. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for, uh, the, thank you for the promise of contentment. God, I pray that you would wean us from our wants. Give us the, the faith and the trust to lay down those things that we want that may not be what we need, Lord. And Lord, we just confess today that ultimately you are, you are all that we need because from you comes what the other stuff that we need, Father God. God, give us the maturity to say, I might not always get what I want, but Lord, I realize that you are all I need. Take us down that path of experiencing contentment to be satisfied. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.